0: Helping you make sense of life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 Weekdays on Vision Christian Radio. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Manasseh, when he realizes what he had done to society, falls on his face and repents, but it's too late. And a whole generation emerged that was lost, self-aggrandizing, self-centered, entitled, and self law Evict the sacred, evict God, evict prayer, and evil will one rampant. That's what's happening today. Today, 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 today with Jeff Vines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Hello and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today we have the last of Pastor Jeff's series called Reset. You can find all the messages in this series wherever you listen to your podcasts. What's the trajectory of your life? Pastor Jeff wants to make sure we're all focused on things of God, not our own hearts or what's culturally accepted. Let's rejoin Pastor Jeff as he brings us the rest of a message from 2 Kings chapter 21, the story of Manasseh. Manasseh did three things that destroyed his people. Number one, he broke society away from God, from the ultimate. Two, he encouraged and accelerated heathenism that ultimately led to the killing of the children. And third, he silenced the prophets of God. There's a book that I've often referred to by George Steiner. It's an old book. It's called The Portage to San Cristobal of A.H. And the initials A.H., Uh, represent Adolf Hitler. And and the story is kind of realistic fiction where they, the Mossad that is, discover Hitler living down in the jungles of South America who had escaped and actually didn't die uh, during the war. So now he's living in South America and the story goes that someone finds him and finally is able to sit across the table and have an interview and ask him the question the world wanted to ask. Why the final solution? Why kill, why murder, six million Jews. And Adolf Hitler's answer in the book is that there had to be a final solution because to do what I wanted to do, I had to silence the voice of morality. And since the Jews brought to us absolute morality in the God of the Bible, then if I could eradicate Jewishness, I could eradicate moral, absolute authority and law, and I could raise an entire generation impervious to conscience and guilt. Interesting, isn't it? I remember being in New York City a few years ago and hearing a Jewish leader say that Christians will be the Jews of the 21st century. What he meant by that, now in America, you and I represent the law of God. We must be silenced so that we will be free to our own erotic pursuits. Manasseh clearly wanted to silence the opposition to his new world order. And if you think about it, it was actually political expediency. But in doing so, did you know that Manasseh is responsible for one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament, Isaiah, who spoke up, condemned Manasseh and paid for it with his life. All throughout the Western world, there's been a concerted effort in the last 50 or even 60 years to silence the voices of Christ's followers. All of these isms that we wished were wasms, are upon us, and their mission is ultimately to eradicate the sacred, to silence her prophets. So secularism came on the scene, deny the existence of any transcendence. Humanism came, man left to himself, will create his own utopias. He doesn't need God or moral law. Pluralism, equate all religious ideas, no matter how contradictory. And then what is seldom talked about is privatism. Privatism came on the scene, and it claimed to know the way to a successful society. And that path would be to make sure that all public activity is free from any reference to religion or to any notion of the transcendence. They believe by doing that, we would create unity in diversity and we have not. We are more divided than we've ever been. Again, isn't it time that we're honest and admit that this social experiment has not been successful? On any American coin, You find the words, "a pluribus unum, out of the many, one. (laughs) To what does that reference? It goes back to the idea originally in America of our universities. Unum meaning one. Universities. Our universities were places of education with all the arts and sciences and maths, but we studied them. In relationship to the thing they pointed to, the one thing they pointed to, a sovereign God creator. So the more we studied these sciences, these disciplines, the more we would learn about God. Therefore, they were called universities. versities. Today, they would be better described as plural versities. We're out everywhere with no relationship to anything and no absolute to any degree. The one unifying factor of our distant past in America has been the belief in God and his objective precepts that will bring life and vitality. Continuing that quote, in our time, the light of the ancient and tested blueprint of the soul has once again been smothered at the whim of an autonomous culture. The imprint of Athens, Rome, and London are still upon us, but the all-important endowment of Jerusalem has been tossed to the winds. Interesting. Christians no longer have a seat at the table in the public arena under the guise of privatism. We must keep our religious views out of the marketplace. Again, the irony to this, folks, is that's impossible because your worldview, no matter what it is, will influence your decision in public. Who you are in private will determine who you become and what you say in public. You cannot alienate the two. And besides that, as I've said before, all worldviews are religious Oh, there is no such thing as a non-religious worldview because a religion is any statement or belief associated with the absolute. Therefore, atheism is a religious statement. It is a worldview because it states the absolute negation. There is no God, it says. It makes a statement about God and therefore lives its life on that basis. It is a religious worldview. It is a religious statement. And if you are an atheist, would that not impact your belief about something like abortion? because you don't believe in the sanctity of life. You believe that we're a collocation of atoms, time plus matter plus chance. There's no such thing as a non-religious worldview. Whatever you believe in private will indeed impact you in public. And the Christians should not be separated from the rest of the pack. Now I say this because part of the frustration in our country in November five, November 5th, 2017, a gunman walks into a church in Texas with a semi-automatic rifle walking up and down the aisles, killing people. He emptied 15 magazines of ammunition. He killed 26 people from the ages of 5 to 72. And if I'm not mistaken, he wounded another 20. These were unarmed churchgoers. I'm not sure that we ever figured out why he did this. But what we do know is the response from people in our country it was shocking to me i remember sitting and watching and thinking two things number one how can self-proclaimed well-educated people in the media be that uninformed and ignorant concerning what jesus taught and what the bible teaches if i showed up to a debate and i had that much ignorance about the topic i'd be laughed out of the hall second why the vitriolic language against Christianity and Christ followers? Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, tweeted out after this slaughter in this church building, he tweeted out, reports out of Texas are devastating. The people of Sutherland Springs need our prayers right now. Keith Oberman, former MSNBC political commentator, replied to that tweet by saying this, Speaker Ryan should proctologize himself with prayers. You know what that means, right? He's saying Ryan can stick his prayers where the sun don't shine. Amazing that that would be a response when one of our political leaders just said, pray for the people in the town. Seattle Democrat representative Pramila Jayapal tweeted this. They were praying when it happened. They don't need prayers. Actor Will Wheaton Tweeted in response, the murdered victims were in church. If prayers did anything, they'd still be alive. You worthless sack. And I have to stop right there. I can't believe the smugness, especially of the secular left. And their disdain for Christians and an amazing ignorance for how we Christians even view prayer. We don't view prayer as an escape hatch from pain and suffering, but as a way to bring up there, down here. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is about revival and renewal and reconciliation. We know that Jesus said in this world, you will have trouble. We expect it, but we pray for the grace of God and for the transformation of our nation because law is tied to love, which is tied to life and liberty. Prayer is not so that we change God. Prayer is so that we change us, that we be transformed, that our nation be transformed. And my goodness, prayer is exactly what our nation needs. In her commentary on the church shooting, MSNBC host Joy Ann Reed tweeted this. She said, when Jesus of Nazareth came upon thousands of hungry people, he didn't pray, he fed the people. Really? Matthew 14. Can I read the story? The short version? The disciples, they bring the five loaves and bread and two fish to Jesus. And they say, this is all we have. And we got 5,000 people. And Jesus says, bring them to me. Verse 19 of Matthew 14. And taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he prayed and gave thanks and broke the loaves. Prayer changes the nation. Evict the sacred. Evict God. Evict prayer. And evil will run it. That's what's happening today. Can I just give you quickly, before we ask a very important question, can I, can I give you two reasons that this silencing of Christians has increased? We have sped the process up probably last 30 years. So religious people fly planes into the Twin Towers, and after everybody goes into church to seek God, in a knee-jerk reaction, people begin to believe that religion is the problem, that all religions have to be done away with because it is the real problem of war in our world. And nobody ever stops to think about that every worldview possesses radicals who are bent on destruction. And I find it interesting how people like Bill Mayer can ignore the atheist-inspired genocides of the last 250 years. In the 20th century alone, Communist atheists slaughtered more than 100 million people, 100 million in Russia, China, and Indochina. And not even the bloodthirsty jihadists have killed innocents on anything close to that scale. From the French Revolution to the Bolshevik, from Vendee to Vietnam, the bigotries and atrocities committed by the forces of godlessness surely discredits any thought that freedom from religion in America will somehow protect and secure our world. The second thing is, is that truth matters, folks. Not everything that glitters is gold. Not every religion is equal. An elephant has ears. I have ears. That doesn't make me an elephant. You have to take a look and ask the questions of which worldview brings peace and harmony and constructs a vital and healthy opportunity-driven society and which one causes disintegration. The second factor, though, in silencing the Christians is because of the media, the Idiotization and the desensitization by that little box that sits in all of our homes. Christians are regularly portrayed as ignorant, bigoted, uneducated, and intolerant, judgmental, out of step with the mainstream. They are stereotyped, marginalized. They are seen as prohibitors of progress, prohibitors of fun, and tolerance, and unity, and peace. But the real issue goes back to the days of Manasseh. What we want is religion without the Christians. We want God without accountability. We want spiritism without absolute transcendence. Someone has written, first, dentistry was painless. Then bicycles were chainless. Carriages were horseless and many laws enforceless. Next, cookery was fireless. Telegraphy was wireless. Cigars were nicotineless and coffee caffeineless. Soon oranges were seedless. The putting green was weedless. The college boy was hatless. The proper diet, fatless. New motor roads are dustless. The latest steel is rustless. Our tennis courts are sodless. Our new religion, godless. And Manasseh, when he realizes what he had done to society, falls on his face and repents, but it's too late. An entire generation had been lost. And the thing that took God's place was autonomy, not freedom, autonomy, where everyone did what was right in their own eyes and a whole generation emerged that was lost, self-aggrandizing, self-centered, entitled, and self-law. Thank God Manasseh was not the last chapter in Judah's history. There's another great leader that will emerge and show us the way of healing. And by the way, for you Christ followers, how dare you give up? God can do immeasurably more than you ever asked for or imagined. That's another sermon. We could be in the middle of the seeds of revival right now. Don't you dare give up. But for now, I have just a few questions to ask you just quickly. The most important question in any generation is how it deals with its children. So as Christ followers, I need to ask you three quick questions. And I need you to be honest because stop complaining about our world until you decide to be aggressive in how you're training the next generation. If you're one generation removed from evil, then you could be one generation removed from good. Number one, do you instruct your children in the ways of the Lord daily? Do you point them to the ultimate point of reference? You say, what do you mean by that, Pastor Jeff? Has there been a time that you sit your kids down and you say, this Bible is the foundation for your life. Read its words and know them well. And anything you hear in your life that opposes these words of God, make sure that you reject. Your ultimate trust is here. Have you ever said that clearly to your kids? Not just demonstrated by reading, but said to your kids, this is the foundation on which you should build your life if you want health and vitality and strength. The ultimate question for every generation is what are we teaching our children? When we tell them there are no moral boundaries, when we tell them that moral boundaries do exist, but we don't show them where to find them. When we ridicule sacred things. When we walk out on our marital commitments. When we laugh at the proclamation of God's word. When the media that is anti Christian dominates the landscape. Are you teaching your ch- children where the key to life, joy, and vitality is found? Are you building that foundation so that your child interprets everything they hear in the future on the basis of what is true, what accurately represents reality? Not on the basis of subjectivity, of what feelings, because your feelings can never be trusted ultimately to lead you to truth. Feelings play a part, but they are not objective. They are subjective by nature. Take your kid to the objective word of God. And then his feelings will line up to what he knows to be true. Second, do you monitor heathen type messages that regularly come into your child's life? I know heathen is a strong word, but we're using that as a sense of godlessness. So do you monitor those godless messages that regularly come into your child's life? Do you monitor what your child watches on the idiot box? Do you monitor it? Do you monitor what they listen to on their mobile devices? You know, I read an article this past week again that Steven Spielberg, when he came out with Jurassic Park, would not let his own children watch it. So it's good enough for him to make it for your kids, but he wouldn't let his own kids watch the movie. Bill Gates has said numerous times that a kid is not old enough to have a smartphone until he or she is 15. Do your kids have one? Do you monitor it? Do you monitor the messages that come in? And when you watch television programs or when they see something that you know is anti-Christ following, anti-Christian that presents a worldview that is destructive. Do you explain that to the child? Do you push pause? Do you wait? And do you say to the child, let's talk about this. Do you use those as conversation pieces? Or do you just let godlessness run free without explanation? Third and finally, do you model worship and prayer as a priority in your life? You know that your actions speak much louder than your words. I know I've used this illustration before. I think it's because It had such an impact on my life. And I go back to when I was growing up, I had three brothers. We didn't have a lot of money. And I remember when our McDonald's moved to town. So we thought that was, you know, pie in the sky. We got McDonald's. And, uh, but we never got to go. A lot of the church families went after church, but we didn't because my parents couldn't afford it. But my father had this envelope on the mantle of our home and on the envelope, he had written the words, God's money. Now, my dad believed that God was the giver of every good and perfect gift and deserves the first fruits of our lives. And so my dad could have held that back and take his children to McDonald's and done a few other things. We never went without. We always had plenty of food, clothing, a roof over our heads. But just remembering that, that that's the way my father thought, that was his process. It did something inside me. To my father, church was a non-negotiable. Nothing would take the place of the house of worship. Nothing would replace the day of setting aside time to worship and meet with God's people. And as I told you before, I remember my father telling my basketball coach, no, my son, yeah, he may be the captain of the basketball team, but he will not practice on Sunday between these hours because he's at church. He will not play games. He will not play tournaments. That had a big impact. Can I ask you, what are you modeling for your children and your grandchildren? What do they see when they watch you? You want to change a generation? That's how you start. There was a young soccer player who uh, loved the game and uh, his soccer team was waiting on the field for him to arrive so they could begin practice. They had a pretty important game coming up. They were waiting for him because this young Player who played on the soccer team, his father had passed away and he was attending the funeral and the coach agreed not to start practice until the boy returned because the boy believed that's what his father would have wanted them to do go back to your team, go back to soccer practice. They waited and he arrived after practice. the little boy went up to his coach and said, "Coach, I need to ask a very special favor I know i 'm not a starter and I know I don't play a lot for the team, but I'm asking you that this game coming up, this big game, I'm asking you to start me, that I can start and that I could play. Coach says, son, I'm sorry, I can't do that. That wouldn't be fair to the young man who's earned the position. And he said, coach, I'm not asking to play the whole game. And if I don't play extremely well in those first few minutes, you can take me out, but would you play me? The coach said, okay. They played him. He played so well that the boy uh, whose place he had taken walked over to coach and said, coach, you made the right call. This kid's amazing. He's having the game of his life. They won the game. After the game, the coach walked over to the boy as well as some of the other players and said, Wow, what got into you? How did you you do that? And the boy said, Well, coach, my father was blind, and today is the first day he got to see me play. God, your father in heaven, watches you and me every day. How are we playing? How driven are we? How much effort do we put in to the kingdom of God, modeling it for the people around us and especially for the next generation? In some ways, we may be restricted in what we can do in the here and now, but we will give our best efforts. But I'll tell you where we're not restricted in how we raise our children. And if one generation can turn it toward evil, one generation can turn it toward good. Father, I praise and thank you for your goodness. And I ask your blessings on our nation. I pray that in no way that I would have given the picture that we are irrecoverable. Who knows if at such a time as this, we are in the middle of a reset of revival to wake us up that we cannot do this without God. We cannot do this without an ultimate point of reference. We cannot do this without the voices of morality. We cannot do this without the prophets of God. Turn our hearts to home. Let us heal the cracks in the foundation before it's too late. Beginning with our children in Christ's name. Amen. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines" wherever you get your podcasts. You make me want to dance and sing With every single breath I breathe I will break this offering You are my wonder You make the wonder Today Today Today